0: Hello, welcome back to The Wire Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McCrary. Today, I'm back. It's been a while since I've recorded the podcast, but I'm back. i got a lot to talk about today. First, I want to talk about um, our YouTube channel. So, I have a YouTube channel called The Wire. I was posting our podcast episodes on YouTube as well as on like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, But I have created a separate channel for our podcast called The Wire Podcast. So all our full-length podcasts will be on there. And they'll still be on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But the video format for our podcast will be on that YouTube channel. And then I'll take clips from those podcasts, post it on The Wire YouTube channel. So uh, I wanted to let y'all know that. So if you wanted to see the video format of these podcasts go to our YouTube channel called The Wire Podcast. Now, today, I'm going to be talking about... Uh, first off, I want to talk about Russell Wilson, the trade rumors surrounding him. That situation has been crazy. Uh, last night, we had two really good NBA games, Pelicans versus the Bucks, then the Wizards versus the Nuggets, and then I'm going to finish off the podcast talking about Justin Fields and the pub- the public perception about him and really the public discourse um, surrounding him the last couple of weeks, so let's get things started, also, I'm using my my laptop webcam for this podcast, it, it's terrible quality, but we're just going to have to roll with it for today, alright, let's start with Russell Wilson, so, Russell Wilson, he made public comments about the Seahawks offensive line a few weeks ago, and reportedly, He's unhappy with this lack of involvement with the franchises, like with with the decisions the franchise is making. So he's unhappy. And now it sounds like the Seahawks could potentially trade him. Um, now, that is crazy to think about that because Russ has been so good the last couple of years. And I mean, he is 32, but he's still got a, a lot of quality playing time ahead of him. Um, and he hasn't requested a trade yet. He hasn't requested or demanded a trade, but he has given four preferred destinations in the case that the Seahawks do decide to move him. So basically, he's probably going to get traded. Like, like he doesn't, he nec- he hasn't necessarily said that he wants to get traded, but he hasn't said that he doesn't want to get traded because he's he's given the Seahawks like n- the names of teams he wants to go to. Um, and the four preferred destinations that he gave the Seahawks are the Cowboys the Saints the Raiders and the Bears um interesting uh names there um I do want to mention that he has a no trade clause so uh, he has to waive that no trade clause if he if for for the deal to be done or for the for a deal to be made and this is from ESPN trading him before June 1st of this year would trigger 30 39 million dollars in dead money charges against Seattle's 2021 salary cap. Wilson has three years left on the four-year, $140 million extension he signed in April 2019. That includes base salaries of $19 million, $19 million, and $21 million. So, here, this is my opinion. Virtually every team in the league should be trying to trade for Russ. Not just the four teams he mentioned. Everyone, except for, like, the Chiefs. Uh, Josh Allen, or the Chiefs, the Bills with Josh Allen. Obviously, the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. There's a few other teams that shouldn't, you know, that aren't really in a position to trade for him because they already have, like, elite or borderline elite quarterbacks. Um, But, like, a majority of NFL teams should be at least calling the Seahawks about the availability of Russell Wilson. Um, and Before I talk about... Each of the four, prefer, each of his four preferred destinations. I want to talk about his. I want to like look at his stats because his numbers from the last three years are incredible. And when I look at players, I don't want to base my opinion on them just for one season of play, because that's just not a big enough sample size. Um, I would do either two or three seasons. Two seasons is is better than one. I still don't know if it's enough. Uh, if if it's a big enough sample size, but then again, three years, it it might be too much, I'm trying to find the sweet spot, but over the last three years, from 2018 to 2020, Russell Wilson has had a completion percentage of 67%, he's thrown for 11,770 yards, 106 touchdowns, and 25 interceptions. Those are really good numbers, and per 16 games during that time, he's averaging 3,923 yards, 35 touchdowns, and 8 picks. Those are really good numbers. Um, And then his his advanced stats are really good as well. He has a touchdown rate of 7.1%. That's awesome. That is really, really good. He has an interception rate of 1.7%. That's not great. Uh, but it's definitely not bad. That that he has like over, like last year, uh, turnovers were a pretty big issue for him. He was throwing a lot of interceptions. Um, but that's not a, a terrible number there. And he has an adjust, He has eight point five adjusted yards per attempt and a passing rating of one oh seven point two. Really good numbers. Basically, he's been elite over the last three years. He's been awesome. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He is clearly a top five quarterback in the NFL over the last three years. He's been awesome. Um, now I want to discuss each of the four uh, preferred destinations and how he fits with them. So, the Cowboys, I think this is an interesting situation because the Cowboys, you know, it doesn't seem like they want to keep Dak Prescott long term um, because he wants a ton of money. They don't think he's worth it, and honestly, they're right. He's not worth the money he wants. Um, so I can see a deal being made centered around Russ and Dak. Where you know, obviously, that's not going to be all that's included in the deal. It would be Dak Prescott and like picks, maybe players. It wouldn't just be Dak. But I think that's really interesting. And the Cowboys, they have a lot of talent. They ju- they just drafted Ceedee Lamb. They have Amari Cooper. I don't know what's happening with Michael Gallup. I don't know if he's going to be there long term. But they got a good offensive line. Um, um, They got talent on the offensive line. That's become a bit of a question mark over the last year. Um, But they got Zeke. um, They got, who's that running back? Let me look at their depth chart. Because they got a a solid, a very, very solid backup running back. I just can't think of his name. Tony Pollard. Um, Their defense is not very good at all. Um, they do have talent on defense like Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander Der Esch, Demarcus Lawrence, um, and, and they can fix that up in the draft. But um, I, I love that offense. The, just the fit within that offense, you put Russell there, put him in, in, in there with Amari uh, Cooper, Zeke, um, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and, and let's say they, they're able to like, draft Kyle Pitts with the 10th pick. That could be an incredible offense. Um, And I think the Cowboys would be serious contenders if they were able to get Russ. So that's an interesting fit. Now, the Saints. Um, I don't know how the Saints will be able to make this move work because they have literally no salary cap at all. Um, So I don't know if that's actually realistic. Uh, But that could be fun. They got a really good defense. They are an awesome team. Um, If the Saints were able to get Russell Wilson... They would be one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl immediately. Um, if they can get that done, they should. They should give up whatever it takes. Uh, but I don't know, like, with the Drew Brees situation with their salary cap, I just don't think they're going to be able to make a move work. But that could be really fun. And that they could be a, a very dangerous team if they were to get Russell Wilson. Now, the Raiders. Um, I, I would love to see this because I'm a huge Henry Ruggs guy. I really liked him. Um, heading into the draft last year, and he just didn't really have a great rookie year, Um, but if you put Russell Wilson in at at quarterback instead of Derek Carr, then Henry Ruggs will be put, um, that'll be just a much better situation for Henry Ruggs, Um, I don't really understand why Wilson wants to go to, to the Raiders, because I don't, like, this is not the best spot for him to be competitive, um, obviously the Raiders would be competitive with Russ because that's just how good Russ is, but they don't have a great defense. They do have a very good offensive line. I think that's the main reason why he would want to go there. Um, but he doesn't really have any great receivers there. He does have a very good tight end in Darren Waller. Um, if he goes to the Raiders, um, and then he's got a good running back, Josh Jacobs. It's a good offense. just like, that's not a complete team. The defensively, they, they are really, really bad, um, so that's an interesting fit, but I would love to see Russell Wilson paired with Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, that offensive line, and Henry Ruggs, that could be a lot of fun. Now, the Bears, um, another interesting fit, obviously, it, they don't want to move forward with Mitchell Trubisky, as they shouldn't, um, and bringing in Russell Wilson would be really interesting, they, got a, they have a really good defense, and they got some talent on offense. Like Devin Montgomery had a really good year for them. Um they got Dar- Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson's a free agent. Now, if they're able to bring in Russell Wilson, I don't know if they're going to if they will be able to keep Allen Robinson, I'm just not familiar with a salary cap situation. Um uh, but if they were able to bring in Russ, keep Allen Robinson, that could be a pretty interesting team. I'd like to see it. Uh but of the four preferred destinations, I'd love to see him go to the Saints because like, that would just be such a fun team to watch. With him, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, um, and then that defense, they would be so, so good. Um, I'd also like to see him uh, with the Cowboys and that offense. But I'd also like to see him go to the Raiders, um, just to see what Henry Ruggs can actually do. Because I think if Russ does end up going to the Raiders, I think Henry Ruggs could legitimately be a 1,000-yard receiver next year. I, I honestly believe that. Um. So I like to see that, but that's pretty interesting. I also want to talk about this hypothetical trade scenario that PFF um, tweeted the other day. It's a hypothetical trade. This is not a report. Just I just want to say that it's a hypothetical trade. So the Jets is between the Jets and the Seahawks. The Jets would receive Russell Wilson, and the Seahawks would receive Kawin Williams, uh, the second pick this year, the twenty third pick this year, and a twenty twenty two first round pick. Now, uh, my friend Thomas said, he's, he's the one that's come on this podcast before uh, a bunch of times. He said that he wouldn't do it if he were the Jets. I would. So, let's think best scenario possible for the Jets here. Or, or for the Seahawks. The best case scenario is they would, obviously they get Quentin Williams. With the second pick, they would draft the quarterback. Whether that's Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance, they would get a quarterback. Potentially a franchise quarterback on a rookie contract. Um, and then with the twenty third pick, we're probably they're probably looking at getting maybe a corner like maybe J C Horn is still uh, still available. Maybe they're able to get a pass rusher like Quiddy Pay, um, so that could be interesting. Uh, so let's just say they get obviously Quiddy Williams, um, Zach Wilson, who's the projected he's projected to go number two overall. Then like Quiddy Pay if he were to fall to twenty three, or maybe they they go tackle and get like uh, Jalen Mayfield. Uh, Samuel Cosby, maybe Christian Derosoff, he falls, um, so what are those players, and then in the 2022 first round pick, let's say they get, let's say they're they're really bad, they get a high pick, and they're able to get Kayvon Thibodeau, so you're looking at Quinton Williams, Zach Wilson, um, let's say Quinny Pay and Kayvon Thibodeau for Russell Wilson, is that worth it? I, I don't think it's worth it for the Seahawks, I, I don't, and I think that's like the best case scenario uh, for for the Seahawks in this scenario, um, so I don't think it's worth it for the Seahawks, I think the Jets should, should pull the trigger here, because they would be getting Russell Wilson, and yes, although they're not in win now mode, if they got Russ, they would be, and they have a ton of salary cap, so I think they would be able to kind of um, Speed up the the rebuilding process. I think players would want to come play with Russell Wilson in New York, so I think they would be able to kind of perform a. They'd be able to like speed run a, rebu- a rebuild uh, because they have so much salary cap. So I think the Jets should do this trade. Uh, but I think this is an interesting hypothetical, and like like I said, it's a hypothetical. Um, you know. Russ is probably not going to the Jets, but that's one to think about. And uh, it's so crazy how this whole situation has played out because it really went from zero to 100 like that. I mean, it's crazy um, how, how this situation has escalated, but I'm interested to see where Russell Wilson is playing next season. All right, now let's talk about Pelicans versus the Bucks last night. Just. A really fun game to watch, and and this was we saw some dominant performances from Zion Williamson, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Chris Middleton. Both the, all three of those guys scored over thirty points. This was an underwhelming uh, performance from both teams defensively, um, because the the Bucks won one twenty 120, or one twenty nine to one twenty five. Uh, neither team was very good defensively. Um, now Middleton and Giannis, they were awesome for the Bucks. they combined for over 30 points, um, and and they were specifically awesome in the fourth quarter, before I get to that, um, I want to talk about the Bucks. everyone that played well for them, like Giannis, he was so good last night, Uh, he had 30, 30, let's see, 37 points, Um, 38 points, 4 assists, 10 rebounds, um, had a true percentage of 60.5%, that's awesome, um and he had a BPM of seven. Uh, he was really really good. I um, mean then Chris Middleton he was awesome and he he really came alive in the second half. Started hitting some big shots. He had some clutch shots at the end of the game. He he scored thirty one points, six assists, seven rebounds, and he had a true shooting percentage of sixty three point four percent. That's really really good. Um and then Dante Divincenzo he was really good and productive, had 24 points, um, nine assists, seven rebounds, he had a very good performance, um, and he had a usage rate of, like, 22%, so, he was very active in this game, I like to see that, and, of course, he had, he was so efficient, uh, had a true shooting percentage of 71.1%, he, he had some big shots, um, now, for the Pelicans, they really got carried by Zion Williamson, Zion, Um, he had a huge night, 34 points, 6 assists, 8 rebounds, 1 steal, 1 block, um, and he had a shooting percentage of 60.3%, but no one else was really great, um, Eric Bledsoe and, or Lonzo, Lonzo was pretty good, uh, Lonzo had 20 points, um, 8 assists, I believe, yes, 8 assists, with a shooting percentage of 71.4%, Eric Bledsoe was very solid, uh, but Brandon Ingram was pretty disappointing, um, he was not great in the first half. Just wasn't efficient. Wasn't hitting his shots. Um, he did end up having 23 points, uh, two assists, and four rebounds, but wasn't super efficient. Had a true shooting percentage of 45.2%. Um, just not a great game for him. Had a, a box plus minus of minus 8.7 or negative 8.7. Not, not a great night for him. Um, but Lonzo Ball and Eric Blitzo, they were both uh, solid. But they both had a usage rate of sub-20%, so they didn't really have the ball in their hands a lot. Um, But Zion, he was initiating offense, and he was just so good. And I I, I love that the Pelicans are running their offense through Zion Williamson. That is great to see. Um, But yeah, Zion carried the Pelicans. He was easily their best player. Um, He was awesome. And... In the in the second half, when this game came down to the wire, in the second half, Zion wasn't he wasn't great, um, but Chris Middleton and Giannis were. Uh, Chris Middleton had 21 points in the second half. Giannis had 20. Uh, both those guys they turned it up in the second half. And in the fourth quarter alone, um, Chris Middleton had 13 points. He was incredible in the fourth quarter. Um, and Giannis he was very good as well. Had nine points in the fourth. Um, they were they were both awesome. And in the second half, um, Brandon Ingram, he, he got it together. He was hitting he was hitting his shots in the second half. Um, he took a lot of contested mid-range jumpers in this game, but they were going down in the second half. He had 15 points on um, 53.8% shooting from the field in the second half. So that was good to see. Um, but a, a really fun game to watch. It was fun to watch Zion and Giannis go head-to-head. Um, and, and it was fun just to see... Two of the brightest young stars in the league uh, face up, uh, or face off, and play really, really well, and obviously the Bucks ended up winning. At the end of the game, uh, the Pelicans had a chance to tie the game, they were down 128 to 125, and they had a wide open three-pointer. Brandon Ingram found Eric Bledsoe on the right wing, and Bledsoe was wide open, his man was sacking off, uh, but Bledsoe missed the shot, the Bucks grabbed the, grabbed the rebound, and they came away with the W. Now, this leads me to Zion Williamson. I want to talk about Zion and his development because I don't think people really understand how good Zion Williamson has been um, through the first two seasons of his career. As a rookie, he was really good, but he didn't play much. He only played 24 games his rookie year, but he averaged 23 points, 2 assists, and 6 rebounds per game. Uh, with a true shooting percentage of uh, 61.6%. That's awesome. Now, keep in mind, it was only 24 games, small sample size, but during his second season, he like this year he's averaging 25.6 points, three assists, uh, 6.8 rebounds, um, and he's shooting even better from the field. He, his efficiency is even better. He's shooting 65.7%. Um, that's his true shooting percentage, That's awesome. And he has a a box plus minus of 4.5. He had a box plus minus of 2.1 last year. Um, And he's an all-star for the first time. So, like, what what he's doing offensively uh, on that efficiency is is incredible for a 20-year-old. He's been so good. Now, I will say, defensively, he's been terrible. He's not been good at all defensively. Um, But I, I do have hope that he could get there defensively, that he could be... A, at least a, a slight positive defensively because he was so good on that end at Duke and he's still really young uh, coming back from injury his rookie year so I think eventually he could be a quality defender uh, but right now he's just not uh, but hopefully he can improve on that end um, but he, he's been so good this year Just he's unstoppable when he attacks the basket um, and there's not a lot of guys in the NBA that can stay in front of him And he's a very unique player. Um, There's not really anybody built like him. Like, he's 6'5", and and that's the size for, like, a wing, like a shooting guard, maybe a taller point guard. Um, But he's, like, 280 or 284 pounds. So he's he's short, but he's thick, and he's strong, and he's very powerful. I mean, he's a great athlete, um, and he's just such a high flyer. And it's so hard to defend him because he's so powerful, um, and it's so hard to stay in front of him. I want to look at his shooting numbers. So, um, a majority of his shots are coming at the basket. They're coming from zero to three feet. And this year, he is shooting seventy-three. Or sorry, he is shooting sixty-eight point three percent on shots coming from zero to three feet. So basically, shots from around the rim. He's shooting nearly seventy percent. That's awesome. Um, That's incredible efficiency. And although he's not shooting many, he is shooting 75% on shots from 10 to 16 feet. That's good to see. Now, he's not a great three-point shooter and never will be. Um, So, that's something you'd like to see him develop. Um, But just, he's been so good his first two years. And I'm glad to see him um, playing like an all-star right now. Now, I want to look at these numbers um V-ball Index, it's a website. They have some really, really good advanced basketball analytics. Um, specifically, they have a stat called LeBron. Now, LeBron is a, it's a plus-minus metric that basically here, let me see if I can. It stands for, um, it's called LeBron. It, it stands for a luck-adjusted player estimate using a box prior regularized on-off. Um, basically all you need to know is that it's a plus-minus metric, kind of like box plus-minus, um, but it adjusts for, like, role, um, sample size, um, who they're playing with, so, like, it's got some adjustments that make it better than box plus-minus on basketball reference, and it's basically a measurement of impact. Now, Giannis, he has a Zion of 2.53, and that's being carried by his offense, he's a negative there. Uh, his D LeBron, which is basically his defensive impact is minus or negative 0.92. Not great, but his O LeBron is, uh, 3.45. That's really good. He has a higher LeBron than Christian Wood, uh, Chris Middleton, Carl Anthony Towns, Deontay Murray, Chris Boucher, Clint Capella, DeMar Rosen. Those are just some names. Um, and I want to look at his, like his career projections according to, V Ball Index. This is a really cool tool that they have. A very like an awesome analytical tool that they have. Um, so basically, they have uh, Zion with a LeBron of at least 2.5 for a majority of his career, and throughout his peak, they think he'll have a LeBron uh, of above three for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years of his career. Um, They also, they think he's going to be an all-star, and obviously he's an all-star this year. I think that he could be, that he definitely could be an all-NBA player one day, Um, and if he can improve his defense, I wouldn't be shocked if he was in the MVP conversation someday. They think he's probably going to be an all-star, definitely going to be a starter for years to come, but they think that he'll be an all-star. I'm kind of shocked they don't think he'll become an all-NBA player. Um, but they do think that he will be an all star, so th- that's that's good to see. Um, but I just I just really wanted to talk about Zion for a second because he's such a good player, one of my favorite players to watch, and he makes the Pelicans fun to watch. Now let's talk about the Wizards versus the Nuggets. Um, really, really crazy ending to this game. I'll get to that uh, in a second, but surprisingly. The Wizards didn't give up 150 points. I think that deserves a round of applause. Shout out to the Wizards. Uh, They didn't suck defensively. Uh, This is actually a low scoring game for a Wizards game. Uh, They won 112 to 110. So, that's crazy. Um, But, there were some really good performances by the Wizards players. Um, Specifically, Rui Achimura. He played really, really well. Um, I was surprised to see that. Uh, He was... He was awesome. He had twenty points, um, and shot. He had a true shooting percentage of fifty nine point two percent. He was playing really well. He was creating off the dribble, um, hitting shots mid range. Uh, He's also hitting some threes. Um, so that was awesome to see. Um, and then Bradley Beal, he was awesome. Th- Thirty three points, four assists, four rebounds. Um, and he, he he was very efficient. Had a true shooting percentage of sixty nine point two percent. That is ridiculous from a perimeter player, and especially considering the degree of difficulty um, of his shots last night. Like, he was shooting a lot of contested jumpers, and he still had a true shooting percentage this high. That's awesome. Um, He was really good. Now, Russell Westbrook, he was not great. He wasn't awful. Um, He had 16 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds, had a triple-double, but he wasn't efficient scoring the ball. He had a true shooting percentage of 42.6%, that's gross and not in a good way. That's really really bad. Um, but like he he was pretty good as a passer. Had he had an assist rate of thirty eight point six percent. That's really good. Had a steal rate of four percent. A four percent. That's good for the amount of time he played. He played thirty seven minutes. Um, so I don't think his inefficient scoring totally tanked his performance. But I wouldn't say he was great. Um, he didn't rebound a lot, he was active on the glass, um, and his passing was really good. Um, also, I want to talk about Raul Neto, or Raul, Raul, Raul Neto, and Robin Lopez, I know I screwed that up for Neto, I'm sorry, um, but I believe that's, uh, Raul Neto and Robin Lopez, they played pretty well coming off the bench, they combined for 25 points, um, Robin Lopez had a really good true shooting percentage of 71.4%, uh, Raul Neto had a true percentage of 63.8%. Um, they played pretty well for the minutes they played. Um, so, shout out to them. Uh, Raul Neto actually had a box plus minus of 11.5. Now, he wasn't the best player on the court, uh, but he, he was very solid coming off the bench. Now, for the Nuggets. What a performance by Jamal Murray. He was incredible, especially in the second half. He had 34 points, 6 assists, 6 rebounds. Was very efficient, had a true shooting percentage of 67.5%. Um, Michael Porter Jr., he was very solid as well, had 18 points, one steal, one block. Um, he was active on defense, had 10 rebounds, um, and he was very efficient. 64.8% true shooting percentage, that's really good to see. And he had a steel plus block rate, a combined steel block rate of 3.2%, that's really good. Um, he was very solid in this game. And then Jokic, he was awesome. 24.7 assists, 11 rebounds. Had a BPM of uh, 12. He was arguably the best player on the court. He was really good defensively. Um, the passing was there. Uh, and he was efficient as a scorer. Had a true shooting percentage of 62.1%. Um, you'd like to see that be a little bit higher. Um, but that, that's not bad at all. Um, so, very good performance by him. And then we had a Zeke Najee sighting. We actually had a Zeke Najee sighting. That's awesome. He had seven points, um, and shot, had a true shooting percentage of 121.5%. That is incredible. Um, obviously, he didn't play that much, uh, but when he did play, he was efficient, and and, and that was good to see. He, he had a very solid game. Now, um... Now, let's talk a little bit more about these guys' performances, because Jamal Murray, he was so good in the second half. Um, In the second half, he had 22 points, and then the fourth quarter, he had, let me see, let me pull it up. He had, uh, he did not have 22 points. Did he really have 22 points in the fourth? I thought he had, like, no. Well, how many points did he have in the second half? Am I reading this wrong? Sorry, I'm looking at the numbers. And it's not... Okay, I don't know how many points he actually had. Okay, in the fourth quarter, he had 13 points. Sorry. Basketball reference was tripping. Uh, so, in the fourth quarter, he had 13 points um, on 55.6% field goal shooting. Um, and in the second half, he had 22 points. Um, and Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal was really good in the first half. He had 20 points on 62.5% field goal shooting. Um, shot 100% from three on two attempts. He was awesome in the first half. Um, kind of came down to earth a little bit in the second half, but he was still really good had 13 points in the second half He was awesome um, Jamal Murray down the stretch was playing really really well um, He was clutch and the shot creation was there. I um, mean he, he was playing really really well He was hitting a lot of shots off the ball coming off screens um, Just playing off the ball. He was really really good um, So that, that was awesome to see now obviously we got to talk about the final play of this game The final play was weird. Um, The Nuggets were down by two points at the end of the game. They had a chance to tie it up. Um, They they got possession of the ball. I think they grabbed the rebound. And for some reason, everyone on the Wizards was crashing the glass. And the Nuggets ended up grabbing the rebound. And since everyone for the Wizards crashed the glass, um, they had no one to go back on defense. So the Nuggets had a three-on-one fast break with an opportunity to tie the game, and and Michael Porter Jr. was in um, was in position for a ta- like, to get a wide open look near the basket, um, but for some reason he ran to the three point line. Everyone from the Nuggets ran to the three point line, um, and instead of getting an easy look at the basket, the Nuggets ended up taking a three pointer. It didn't go in. It wasn't even close, and they ended up losing the game. And then Mike Malone was upset about it after the game. This was, like, (laughs) this was a crazy turn of events. I don't really know what Michael Porter Jr. was thinking. In that situation, you should always go for an easy look at the basket. You should always look to tie the game and to go into overtime. But they did it, and they ended up losing the game because of this. Now, I know uh, I saw some people blaming analytics for this. Analytics would tell you to take the layup. Analytics would not say... Take the three and give and like t- to not take that easy look. So, people blaming analytics for that just don't know what they're talking about. They're misinformed. They're ignorant. Um, so don't listen to them. Analytics should not be blamed for that. Michael Porter Jr. should be blamed for that. That was his mistake. Um, but that was a wild game. Um, and, and what a wild ending! Now to end off the podcast, I'm going to talk about Justin Fields. Now, there has been this narrative that Justin Fields cannot read defenses, and it's not true, now Justin Fields is, in my opinion, not a great processor, um, but that doesn't mean that he cannot read defenses, he can read defenses, he, he does it a lot, like he's done it this year, Um, especially against Clemson. Like, he has shown the ability to manipulate safeties with his eyes. He has shown the the ability to go through his progressions. So, I would say that the narrative that he cannot read defenses is false. It's untrue. Now, what I would say is that Justin Fields is a slow processor, and that he doesn't have the best field vision, and that he holds onto the ball too long sometimes. I think all of those are fair points to make. Those are points that I would make. Um, but as I've watched more of Justin Fields, I really like Justin Fields. He's really, really good. He's an awesome prospect. I do have some issues with his game, um, that I think stem from the Ohio State offense and that system. Um, like I don't, like, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes I think he goes through his progression slowly. Sometimes he locks onto his first read a little too long and sometimes he just holds onto the ball way longer than he needs to. And that's why he led the nation in time to throw. Um, Obviously, his offensive line was good, but he also held on to the ball for a long time sometimes. Um, So I think those are all fair points to make. But to say that Justin Fields cannot read defenses, that's just false. That's a false narrative. Um, It's untrue. And a lot of people on Twitter have tweeted out examples of Justin Fields going through his progressions making good decisions, and reading defenses. And I love to see that. Um, Because, you know, this is a false narrative that should be attacked. It should be shot down. It's not true. And you need to watch Justin Fields. Watch every game he played. He's a very good prospect. Um, I have my reservations about him. I don't love him as much as as Trevor Lawrence. I'm personally a Zach Wilson guy. Um, But... But Justin Fields is a very good prospect. Um, I have my reservations, but I believe that saying that he cannot read defenses, that's just fault. And there's just a ton of plays where he is reading defenses, where he's going through his progressions, um, where he's manipulating safeties with his eyes. And, and let's face it, like if his first option is open every play, he should throw to his first option. So if his first option is getting open a lot, That's not his fault, and he shouldn't be blamed for that, Um, so I just wanted to talk about that narrative that had been going around on social media, and I I know a lot of people that followed the draft, they've been kind of attacking it, uh, and they've been really debunking that narrative, so that's great to see. I love Justin Fields, and I would recommend everyone go watch his film. Um, It's really fun to watch, but anyway, that's all I have for today. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I will see y'all next time.